Pro Talk with ProTech, digging deep to learn the stories, lessons, and accomplishments of experts in the real estate industry. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Pro Talk with ProTech. Today, we get to meet top real estate agent Brian Marzell with Keller Williams. It's so nice to see you, Brian. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Um, so just to kind of get the conversation started, let's hear a little bit more about you. How long have you been in the real estate industry? I've been in the industry since 2013. Um, it's 2021. I'm trying to debate whether that's seven or eight years at this point, but um, it's one of the two. Um, started as a full-time agent. Um, it, it wasn't necessarily by choice. Uh, I was looking to buy, get a, get into a little bit of side money. I was highly underemployed at the time. I was working um, as a teacher one time, worked for the county governments at one time, a federal contractor at one time, and wasn't making ends meet in the D.C., Virginia, Maryland area uh, to take care of a wife, um, one kid, and then one on the way at, at that time. Um, so when I broke in the industry, I mean, it was, it was eye-opening to see the income levels that, you know, a lot of agents were able to make and the kind of financial security they were off the family. So that's really what kind of pushed me into it, especially after uh, being laid off from one job about two Christmases straight when I joined in November um, as an agent. It was, uh, I just got laid off again. So I was facing another, um, you know, cold winter, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but um it's been promising since it, it was a little bit of a struggle beginning. I didn't sell a million houses day one. It took about eight months really to procure the first serious transactions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And do you have a team? Tell me a little bit about that. I, when I, I'm an individual agent, um, my old company of a uh, transaction coordinator, a small team in Atlanta, Georgia, with my sister, Latanya Pascal, who we're trying to grow um, down there, but primary focus right now has been like the DC, Virginia, Maryland area, primarily, 80% of my sales come out of Prince George's County, Maryland, um, which is on the border of D.C. Um, looking to grow down the road, but right now is pretty much a lot, pretty much still falls on me. I wear a lot of hats. Been yeah. successful at it. Um, I don't want to say I'm like Superman, more like Batman, but you know, Batman eventually ran, <laughs> eventually <laughs> had to get help and rely on a little bit more tools, a little bit more. So we are looking, I am looking to expand a little bit more beyond where I am now, but I'm not doing too bad right now either. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So how did you end up in DC and Georgia? <laughs> I grew up in Decatur, Georgia, uh, high school and college. I graduated Morehouse College. I graduated uh, back in 2006. It should have been 05. Uh, my wife, who graduated in 05, we started the same year. She had a job in Suitland, Maryland with the U.S. Census Bureau. And it was kind of like ultimatum, like, hey, it's either you move up here, the relationship's over. So I flipped the coin. She won, um, moved up a year later, started my trek in the DMV since then. So I've been here since 2006. Still go back and forth a lot. Um, COVID's made it a little bit challenging lately. But other than that, I still hold a strong connection down south in the metro Atlanta area where I'm from. Mm-hmm. Love that. Do you do you feel like you're going to end up back there or do you see yourself staying in D.C. for a while? Since 2013, I've built... I mean, I look at the roadmap and it's really hard to say. So I bought investment properties up in Baltimore and I'm looking at some stuff down here. I have a strong connection to both. So even my symbol, as you may see in the background, this is mm-hmm. Rocket Sultan Group, which is my company in the globe. The globe signifies where my mindset is in terms of the map of my territory. 
So I necessarily don't want to limit to say that where I may be. I mean, I might be in another country, but I'm not letting go of my Maryland, D.C., Virginia business. And I'm still keeping my eye on the metro Atlanta market and other markets as well. I'm not even going to limit that territory. Um, where I might personally live, I don't, I don't know. It hasn't been laid out for me yet. Uh, I do have a lot of things here. And I can say in the immediate future, I'm probably not going anywhere because it's, you know, a lot of the other framework that had to be in place for me to go isn't in place yet. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Love that. Um, and just for kind of a fun question, uh, what would be the craziest thing that you've ever seen in a home? <laughs> Well, it's funny. So inspections, y'all probably seen crazy to me, but <laughs> I, I have a couple of stories. So I seen extension cores behind a wall. And I know as inspectors, they're not supposed to go behind the wall, but somehow we were able to go behind the wall because they were getting this weird reading. And this rehabber had a stuck, the house was on like a 150 amp box or something, but it was old or 100 amp box. And they just ran these orange extension cords of certain plugs and it was crazy i looked behind there and it literally had like a, a stockage strip connected like two or three plugs and i said i've never we're looking at each other like i've never seen this this is a fire it was a it was a rehab so nobody was currently living there like this but we were just shocked that that was done in a rehab like that poorly like some you know every as you know there's some great rehabbers great rehab homes and there's some that you definitely get expected and one of the things i tell all my clients is you know, I have nothing against rehabs. You just have to know the quality of the contractor and definitely have to get inspected to find out. Don't don't think the stainless steel appliances and granite countertops go a long way because that that could have been disastrous. That could have it really could have set off a fire. Yeah. Um, I've said a lot of quirky things though. I had one gentleman who took the um in a rambler too, of all things. It was a split for a rambler. He knocked out a wall and put in an outside jacuzzi tub in his master bathroom and knocked out basically two rooms of a three room house where it's the master bathroom. It was a jacuzzi tub, a separate shower, another tub and two other sinks. And we're like, this guy just really loves baths. Like there's, <laughs> there's no way else to put it. So, yeah. But you don't do that unless you love a bath. <laughs> like you're going to die in a house and that's what you want. <laughs> you know? Yeah, for sure. Definitely a crazy thing. Um, and you said that you were showing that home? I was showing both of those homes. The one with the tub didn't get bought, but the one with the electric cores, the person did buy. They had they requested to remediate. So with the flips mm-hmm. and rehabs, they uh, sent their team out there. They had to do a lot of stuff to the house. It wasn't just that. But she, they bought it. They bought it. They had all the stuff fixed, taken care of, and they were good to go after that. Yeah, good for them. That's a, that's good. That's a happy ending right there. Yeah. <laughs> um, if I'm buying a home, what would you say would be the most important thing that I would need to know? Uh, budget, how much, I, I phrase everything in the terms of monthly payment, because uh, that's the number that you can see most consecutively. There's different degrees of uh, financial education, which I'm big on. I kind of approach the business kind of like Wall Street opposes stocks because this is an asset, this is something you're gonna buy. You have to maintain it, but also as a fit your lifestyle, not just in how many bedrooms and baths, but also your budget. So how, how much, I ask everybody, what is the most you'd pay in a monthly payment while still being comfortable in your lifestyle and bills? So I've had clients approved for $500,000, million. And when we have those conversations, they're about 250, 300, because that's where they're comfortable at. So mm-hmm. your letter only speaks half of your conversation of your other obligations. So know your budget 
and in terms of a type of home um, maintenance levels. You know, some buyers are like, I'm not doing anything. I just want to kick my feet up and everything. We may tear stuff that's a little bit more new, sometimes brand new. But then I always tell people brand new doesn't mean you don't have problems. I had a, I've had a buyer who um, bought a brand new house and the garage door fell on his truck the next week. <laughs> so, had buyers where the plumbing backed up and these are brand new places. So you buy a lot of warranties and I tell everybody that it's not even if you buy brand new, you just get a little bit more protections, but it doesn't mean stuff doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. um, we have the pink toilet and purple purple carpet conversation. Um, the pink toilet flushes and the purple carpet you could probably use, but that's up to you if you want to do those kind of cosmetic touch-ups later and make it a little bit better, or if you like it, that's fine. Mm -hmm. um, so those are the conversations we have in terms of, you know, level of what kind of condition the home needs to be in. Because um, mm -hmm. at some buyers, I had a lady who said, she just wants to tear everything down. She don't care. I was like, okay, well, we just look at a couple of structures and <laughs> you have at it, you know, make sure it passes a couple of guidelines. You're good to go. And I've had people that's like, no, nah, I'm not doing anything. I'm not painting. I'm not cleaning. I'm not doing anything. And we just try to target those houses that fit more the criteria while still being the budget. The budget still leads the conversation. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. And uh, for a seller, what would you say would be the most important thing that I would need to prepare for? you have about seven to eight seconds um, to grab someone's attention at any given time. This is the buyer side and the seller side. So you want, you know, a decent amount of, if you're depending on the situation, you want a decent amount of curb appeal. Um, pricing is important. A lot of agents go over that and pretty much, you know, the market sets the price. Um, to hit top dollar of any market, you got to figure out what's going to be IPs and they're not distracting to any buyer within the first seven or 13 seconds. I say 13 seconds because they do have to walk, I guess, a little bit into the house. Um, exterior, you can get away with once you're in the foyer of the rooms, you want to be able to either not turn them off or captivate them. I think not turning them off is probably more important because if a buyer has seen a bunch of houses, there's probably only so much you can do to really captivate them within that time frame. Um, but there's things you can definitely do to turn them off in the first couple of seconds. They have nothing to do with the house itself. Mm -hmm. so, what are some examples of that? Depersonalize. Um, you never know. Money is apolitical. It's a religious. It has, you know, no stance on anything. So you bland out those factors, not necessarily the house itself with color skin. There's certain colors you, I do recommend to veer away from. If you even follow like when foreclosures fix up houses, they do like a bland, a bland neutral color modification. Sometimes it's white, sometimes it's off-white, sometimes it's eggshell, but it's very neutral. And that's the same thing with the house. So you can have stuff in there, regardless of who you are. I mean, as I said, I'm a, I'm in it for money and money is apolitical. So guess what? I'm apolitical. I have my own beliefs, but the one thing I tell everybody is you neutralize those other aspects so that one and not a distraction. I've seen those distraction. People start throwing opinions, and opinions have literally nothing to do with their purchase. But when you deal with certain buyers, it's like first-time home buyers. It's just the mindset goes everywhere. So you want every conversation in that first seven, eight, ten seconds, and and the rest of the tour of the house really to be about the house itself. So if you have a picture of a flower, fine. A picture of some statement or some symbol, you may want to depersonalize and take that down because you never know who's pretty much in the house. Uh, people do follow through with um, different things, the house looking, um, touching and sensing smells. So any kind of smell you want to alleviate. I'm a dog 
and cat owner. And I can tell you that if I ever sell any of my houses or the house I'm living in, they won't be around for a couple of weeks because I can't risk the nuance of having someone either being allergic or someone smelling something that they're not used to being in the turn in the house. So you want to bland out those. You want to make sure the house presents that every conversation is going to be about the house and not other stuff. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's a great point. Um, so talk to me a little bit about what the current market is like. How would I know when the best time to buy or sell would be? COVID has been interesting because the market jumps that we generally track were between February through September. It was generally always like, like our market here. So Prince George County being an example, we've always saw jumps to the market between that time frame And right after there, there was never a dip. It just kind of stayed very much the same all up into the next cycle. People look at moving, switching schools, you know, if you have kids, which is a big buyer's market. Um, a lot of relocations happen the second part of the year, and then people need to file their taxes, which is another key part. But since COVID, it's shifted a little bit. I think last year, the market stagnated. It, it was moving quick, but I think a lot of people, price point-wise, people were still kind of filling a lot of things out. So between like March to June, it was about the same as it was probably early January. And then prices took a significant jump in July and throughout and, and stayed that way really through November and December. Inventory was still moving fast. Uh, one of the things is, is I'm a parent. My kids are upstairs and hopefully they don't interrupt this podcast. But um, the education, I mean, now we e-learning. I have some federal people, some people that are 100% telework and they just went to Florida. Why the kids are technically in school here. I mean, what's the difference? <laughs> you know, so once you alleviate that, now people aren't really even paying attention to the school system. So that's a buyer. That's a typical buyer that you want. Um, even That's a group that wouldn't even matter no more because of COVID. So with all these moving pieces, what would you say would be your favorite thing about the real estate industry? Advising clients on the potential of income. So I know a lot. And the thing about me is, you know, I have gifts and things that I give. I believe in relationships, believe in helping people. So in terms of helping people, I think about the long term, advising people financially to say, hey, um, this is the budget that you're in and and having ownership. But I tell people this, you're going to look at the house differently once you get it. It's kind of like an asset. So building a relationship, having people talk to you about things, taxes, which I'm not a tax account or anything, but I could give advice on certain property tax matters from the real estate aspect. Um, as well as a couple of years down the road when they're like, hey, Brian, um, this is amazing. I bought the house at 275 and now it looks like online it's $400,000, dollars $450,000, you know? And a lot of agents think, oh, that's a good time. So sometimes it is. Sometimes they're like, oh, I could cash out or upgrade or do something else. Sometimes it could just be seeing, you know, they're able to refinance their debt or do something unique with it. Um, or just knowing that they got a good buy, knowing that, you know, a while ago, market's been on an uptrend here since 2011. And just knowing a while ago that those projections came out correctly for them financially, knowing they're in a good space. Because whether they're looking to sell at that point or, um, you know, refinance to do something else that maybe I, maybe I don't have a direct uh, benefit from, I know the relationship will be there. And if they know anybody who needs help or advice, I would be top of mind uh, just from their experiences with me and helping them gain that kind of value. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the seller side too. I've had sellers write me Christmas cards and stuff recently. Like, you know, thanks for the money. It helped out a lot. And they might have left the state or something. 
but just knowing that you know you help that particular group out, you protect, you help your sellers out, and anybody in general with advice. So even when um even when I talk to people, it's never like a automatic. Oh, you have to buy or sell at this moment. It always just comes down to just giving value to people because I know once you put the value out there, it'll, it'll circle back to you some kind of way. Mm-hmm. And would you say you prefer working with sellers over buyers or do you have a preference? Well, I'm not going to, uh, I'll work with anybody who, who has something to work with, but <laughs> I will say <laughs> when you, when you're, uh, when you own the listings in this market, this volatile market here is more of a seller's market right now. Um, you control more of the inventory and you get more ad flow, uh, just natural ad flow. I, I put a sign out on the listing the other day and already had a couple calls on it. I have a land listing, you know, pretty much a modified to show what a custom home would be. And I got everybody calling about getting a custom home built. So you get more benefit and it's, you get more benefit on the listing side from controlling inventory. But the buyers are tend to be a little bit more mostly drawn. If you build win the relationship with them, they can also be a great referral source down the road too. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And let's talk about a really challenging time for you and how you overcame it. And this can be personally or professionally. I think it just goes back to the um, to my start in the real estate industry back in 2013. Um, recent this for the whole year of 2020, I was a top rated agent in my job. I had over 15 million, 15 plus million in sales, over uh, across 43 transactions, and it was an honor because when I started back then, I've been with the same company Keller Williams since uh, the same time. I've seen so many people carry the banner. I was like, wow. I'm broke, but this person apparently made a lot of money this year. And he <laughs> started seeing it, seeing it. So to be up there was a, was a lot. So I would fast forward back then, I was, as I mentioned, I didn't come from a lot of money. They say most people need about five to ten thousand dollars to really start any business. I don't care what it is. I was like maybe twenty thousand in debt, and kind of stayed that way. <laughs> well, into being a real estate agent for a couple months until things kind of levied out and panned out. Um, I was at my peak around thirty plus years old, so a lot of high-end employment opportunities were pretty much done. And I came from a family that wasn't entrepreneurial. So, and I wasn't from the area. So I started in the DMV, which a lot of people tell you, the first people you got to call is your family and friends. Well, guess what? I didn't know anybody. (laughs) So my first 80 plus transactions were all strangers for I netted one family member. Mm -hmm. Uh, With that, it took about eight months to procure a deal. They say for new agents, um, no background, anything is better not to do short sales and foreclosures. Guess what my first deals were all short sales and foreclosures in the first couple of transactions. So, but I was grateful for the experience because going through the nuances of learning um, that business in and out, learning the hard stuff first, I appreciated more of my nine foreclosure, short sale, <laughs> easier transactions down the road. But there was a particular time in 2014 where I, I think we literally, my wife had called me I and mean, she maintained employment, but living in the district, living around this area can be kind of pricey. So it's a lot of misconceptions of what the poverty line is and what you have to kind of do to pay for a kid. She's pregnant. And, you know, we just had a lot of issues at the time financially. And I remember she asked me about getting some groceries. And I think we had, I had, I was waiting on a rental deal of all things to come through just to be at a clear, a decent threshold for groceries. And I'm in front of, food line at the time, you know, just kind of yelling and praying in my car just because I had 20 bucks and it was a Popeye's chicken across from the food line. And it almost made about as much sense to get a 20 piece or whatever piece you can there and sp- spread it out over a couple of days 
versus, you know, trying to piece of meal. I mean, whatever the thought process was, maybe I'm wrong about that. I don't know, because I guess I don't cook like that. <laughs> Do a little bit now. But it was just eye-opening, because I felt like at that point, if I ever felt that I was truly back against the wall, that was it. I mean, I was, I, I said, for, I told somebody, up until the first couple of transactions, if I came home, I, I lived down a hill, and if I came home and I either saw my stuff sprawled out all over the yard, I couldn't even be mad. Or if I came in one day and all the stuff was gone, my kids, family left. I mean, I almost like I couldn't be mad. So from about an eight month period between November of 2013, really October, really October 13, to around September, I had that mindset that was more like day to day. We'll just see what happens, you know, and, and bills wise too. So after I became an agent, after I lost my last job, I was over trying to find a house. Um, one of the axles in my car broke and it, it shot me through a median. Um, so my car was ended up being total. I wasn't hurt. I guess I'm like, I guess I'm unbreakable like Bruce Willis because I actually walked out of that with no scratches. But the car was in the value too. It was just a lot of issues. So I ended up having to take some of the insurance money, which unfortunately they paid um, a little bit more for the recovery of a car than they would in trading because CarMax only was going to give me $700. They gave me $5,000. I literally had to take a thousand, get a little clunker for a while and spread another 4,000 in the next couple of months until some other things had kind of panned out. Uh, at the same time, I was already in debt before this happened. I was going further in debt. So it was one of those things where I just felt like when I, when I think back to that time, like that was a make or break point. That was even going to be, and I'm just trying to look, I'm not even trying to be top agent or anything stuff last year. I'm just trying to take care of things, you know, feed a family, keep some things afloat. So it, it was a it was a difficult time in that I lived only what I saw in front of me every single day up until about September. And even when it came around September, after September, I will say this, though, of that year, I, after that happened, I sold four houses and I sold at least two the next month, one the next. It, it just went on. I only had about a couple of months in, in, out of seven years where I didn't have a transaction. It's not a lot, like one or two months here and there. But even when the transactions came in, um, I was just trying to make it day to day. And just going through that period just made you, you know, I look back and look look at last year and I look back then and I said, you know, it's crazy. Because, you know, I was um, not, I didn't really think family was going to hold together or anything. I didn't know how I was going to pay. I was going to be foreclosed on myself looking, <laughs> looking at situations. So, but um, it, it, I stayed the course, I stayed strong things eventually worked out. It didn't work out on my time, I'll tell you that, but it worked out when it needed to, to pan out now. So I just tell a lot of people, you know, um, you know, stay strong in your convictions and necessarily don't say what's happening in the moment is who you are right then. Sometimes it goes a little bit deeper than that. Uh, and eventually things will come the way they're supposed to come. You know, I'm not, a, I wasn't a person back then that said, but work hard enough, it comes out, I just said, you know, at the time I dedicated that no matter what happens, I was, if I win or lose or whatever the case may be, I was at least going to be looking in my mirror and say, I did my best. And sometimes that's really all you can do. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I love that advice. Um, and what would you say would be something that you're really proud of a biggest life achievement? Well, being a, being a dad is, is a big life achievement, you know, um, so I'm about, I think about 12 years married now two kids. I have a one, I have two investment properties working on a couple more and I bought one of them that was strictly. So one of them 
was my own house. It just ended up being investment due to hard times, was able to pull that out of nothing. But one last year I bought strictly for that reason. I had the extra income to diversify. Um, looking at stocks and bonds and things, but overall in terms of client base, I've sold for the last couple of years, I've averaged between 36 and 43 transactions for the last three years. So I mean, that's accomplishment myself. No one agent last year. So that was accomplishment. So um, those are just some of the best accomplishments. I mean, I just, it, like I said, between looking at, you know, being at ranking now and looking at back in 13, where, you know, I'm just, just trying to eat every day. That's, um, you know, it's amazing. And it's amazing itself. So that's a definitely big accomplishment as a whole between, you know, holding the family together, being a dad and diversifying different aspects of um, income. So that's just not all the client-based business. Mm -hmm. So it help with people investing as well. So. Mm -hmm. um, and tell me something that most people don't know about you. What are some hobbies and fun facts? Hobbies and fun facts. If I had time for hobbies, let me see. Um, I like, well, it's hard to say this now, but usually I like to travel. <laughs> I keep daydreaming about the last cruise I took. And like, that's probably at least two or three years out. Um, travel, going out to eat movies. I like, I like, miss the comedy clubs I used to go to with my wife last year. We went to a lot of them. Shows, the concerts, hanging out with my kids. When this is over, it's going to take them to Disney World, but I guess that goes back to travel. I like spending time with the family. I like the beach and the water. So we go to the beach religiously a couple times a year, whether we stay at the beach or just drive to Ocean City, which is up in Maryland, you know, close by. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, video game system, bought a VR set recently and it's helping me lose weight. I, I was fighting, I was fighting the Dynas Creed yesterday and he's pretty good. Um, in the sports, I have no cartilage in my left or right knee from being playing basketball. I actually played at a pretty decent level for my height. I'm only like five, seven, you know, it couldn't really jump. It was pretty fast at the time. I'm not fast anymore. I played elite level through the high school years. And um, even afterwards, there's some rec league, some guys I knew went developmental league and all that eight years prior. Um, so I watched sports. I mean, most of the spectator sports, football, basketball, things like that. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I love that. I just recently got a VR set too. So if you have any recommendations, let me know. <laughs> oh man, Wanderers. I didn't say Wanderers something. I don't oh, I love that. that. Yeah, yeah, we've done that. We've, I've, my boyfriend and I, we are like, let's go to Los Angeles today. And yeah, it's fun. <laughs> a little fight. My, my kids, my wife likes uh, jobs. It's one where you just. Oh, yeah. Like, the job uh, simulator. Right that Walking Dead is great too. Walking Dead is, I used to think, you know, as a kid, I like the hard games, but as a dog, you think they're corny. But the VR set brought a lot of realism back to some of the hard games when you can literally look behind you and you have to fight. It, 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 I will say, Walking Dead is one of, is amazing. Yeah, I don't have that one, so I'll have to check that out. Um, where do you see yourself in the next five years? What are some long term goals? I want diversified income, I want to have a bigger um, investment portfolio. I want to have, you mentioned teams and stuff. I want to expand this out some more. I'm still dissecting which direction I want to take the model because I've seen, I've seen some individual agents perform at this level. I've seen some teams perform at this level, but I want something more in place uh, for my client-based business. I want to keep that at a high level as well. Um, expansion between different territories. I mentioned Atlanta and I'm looking at that. I'm looking at here, looking at this, this anywhere to see what's the best way to go about it. 
Um, I wish I bought GameStop three weeks ago, but I missed that. But I'm looking at the stock market. It's something that is starting to grow within me. I'm kind of taking a lot of notes on that. Um, it's believed that really you need to have multiple streams of income, preferably five. I talked to franchisers just about buying businesses. So it's just the next five years, I'm going to be as financially free as possible and not financially free, like, you know, but just where, and like I told you, my backstory, <laughs> kind of think about it even deeper when, you, when you're in some of those situations that you, you want to have, you want to make sure that your family, whether you're on this earth or not, going forward, doesn't start so behind the eight ball that there's a, a, a minimum lifestyle or living where they can focus on other stuff. There's a lot of other things I've thought about. I wouldn't mind going into politics one day, you know, it's down the road, but I want to be financial. I want to be, I, I don't want, you know, in terms of like the income or politics, I'm not looking, I, I don't want that to be any um, influence or anything. I, I want to have my own and just do it just because I want to do it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So those are some of the long-term goals that I want to, I'm basically pursuing, want to pursue. Mm-hmm. Love that. Um, and let's say I'm your next prospective client. Why should I call you? Because beyond the metrics, um, it's all about the relationships. I have people that I've sold houses to back in 2013, 14. I was outside of starting 13. So, well, didn't get my first sale to 14, but I've had those clients I still talk to and keep in touch with. And I, one of the things about me is I make sure that you're a holy service, meaning that after the transaction is done, I want to make sure that you're in a good space. So all the conversations that I'm teetering to now is to make sure that you've hit your goals well after it's done. I don't want to be like, hey, this is it. If you're looking to sell a home, it, it's the same thing. I want to I want you to maximize the most out your investment because you put the years into it. And it's my goal to basically make sure that you get, you know, every ounce is sold back to you and with the market pay, you know, during this time as well as the people aspect, realizing that, you know, whether you're buying a house, you're buying your investment, your family, where you're selling a house, that was your nest egg that you worked hard to put aside for. And I'm going to guard it as I would my own. Mm-hmm. Love that. Um, and tell everybody how they can reach you. What's a good phone number, email, social media handles, things like that. Okay. So Ryan Marzo, 410-834-1526 email brian.marzo at kw.com. Facebook, I have Facebook business page, which is RCG, the Rock Consulting Group on Facebook. Uh, Facebook handler is one chosen 1018. I had that since college, so don't judge me. Um, Twitter handler is at chosen one realtor. Instagram is chosen one realtor. And I'm also on LinkedIn. I have a website, uh, the rock consulting.group, as well as brianmarzo.com. I love that, Brian. Well, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to record with me today. It was so nice meeting you and getting to know your story. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Haley, and look forward. Maybe, maybe do it again sometime. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Love that. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Pro Talk with ProTech. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and follow ProTech Inspection Services on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn.